that's what I do in life, in fact. Sure. But that's that's beneficial for some because then people can just feel like they look good, you know, when they're around me because they're like, this guy doesn't know what he's yeah. doing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's part of the plus of knowing Mike Sullivan is to know that you, you know, you may look pretty good around there's me. There's order. Okay. At least there's order in the chaos, Mike. There's oh, order yeah, in no. the chaos. So I know <laughs> there is. There is order in the chaos. In fact, I've learned that it's endearing. People actually really like it. Mm, and and believe sure, it or not, people are even listening to every episode because they're like, hey, this this guy is making me feel better about myself. <laughs> yes. Uh, one no. of the stories when I was in jail, <laughs> uh, there was this woman who, you know, her, her, her and her, her husband, not her husband, her, her boyfriend or her, the father of her child um, was stuck in jail for not paying child support. Right. But he didn't pay child support because he didn't get a mm -hmm. job because he had to, because he had committed a felony you know, so all these things that just stacked on, on him, you know, it was impossible for him to police the world. It's just, And so he, he mm -hmm. goes to court, you know, and this woman is, tells the judge, just looks at the judge and says, I hope he rots in jail. He deserves it. And the judge, the judge just looks at him and says, ma'am, he can't help you with your child if he's rotting in jail, <laughs> you know? So, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's right. You heard it. Another story from jail and some of my self-deflating humor. I swear I told my jail story about seven times at this conference I was at. Not sure if jail is the best subject matter to impress or expand my professional network with, but it's certainly entertaining. These go to 11. That's right. These go to 11, a movie ref courtesy of my dear friend Adam Thomas in Korea. From the movie, this is Spinal Tap in 1984. This is episode 11. We do go to 11. Thanks for listening. Love my community back home in Korea. In fact, this episode and next are from TCKs that have become a part of my global family. We all found each other in the midst of the English teaching chaos we were a part of. Today, you will hear my conversation with Insadi, my dear friend from South Africa, and her journey. She is still currently teaching in Korea. We touch on some very sensitive issues that may resonate with TCKs, having to do with religion, Christianity. And also, we talk about the larger issue of race Let's get started.
Anyway, how are you? How's your Sunday? Good. Thank you very much. Very. Um, it's been a lazy, lazy Sunday. I went cycling long distance yesterday uh -huh. from Chinchan to Namyanju, yeah, yeah. around 70K. So I've just been recovering from that. 70K. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just 70K. Yeah. It? Nothing much. I met you at the tail end of my time in Korea and... I enjoyed the small amount of rapport that we had, but I feel like actually I've probably gotten to know you better since then. In Korea, I met a lot of you folks from South Africa. You guys are in Korea teaching English. Some of you in the school program that you're currently in. And then, of course, my colleagues um, mm -hmm. working for SPEP in Gangnam. A lot of, lot of South Africans, uh, a lot of you guys teaching English in Korea. And in fact, one time I overheard a conversation with my boss talking about how you guys are a lot easier to deal with in many regards uh, than Americans. <laughs> so whatever that means, I bet it has <laughs> something to do with what we will talk about today. But yes, anyway, sure. you, have been, you have probably been the kindest and most well-spoken of all of uh, the South Africans I've met, I do have another super friend, uh, Gary. We would play games together. He was also an intensive instructor working with Hyundai. But anyway, I, I do have something to say about South African names and just tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's kind of funny mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. of the three people that I think of off the top of my head, you, uh, my friend Gary, Mm -hmm. And and Gertz, mm -hmm. you, you remember Gertz? Gertz, yeah. <laughs> yes, Gertz. So uh, none of your names, if we look at them, are pronounceable by Americans. So I wonder if that's on purpose. Obviously, Gertz. <laughs> let me try Gertz here. Hertis, is it Hertis, right? Something like that. Hertis. Hertis. Yeah, Hertis. Okay. <laughs> and then, of course, Gary, my friend Gary. His name is Geb, Gerhard, Geb. Heb, Gerhard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, and of course, Insadi, right? Insadi is your name. Um, anyway, I think. Insadi, correct. Yeah. Yours yeah. is by far the easiest to pronounce. Just a little bit um, misleading with the, the spelling, I think. So. Oh, of course. Yeah. And we have my grandparents to thank for that. They're the ones who gave me this very complex uh, life to lead with this name. Not only its meaning, but its uh, spelling and pronunciation, which are not remotely aligned. It's spelled Lee, but pronounced Zhadi. Right. So I have my paternal grandparents to thank for that. <laughs> yeah, but you're in the right country because, of course, we all know that for Koreans, Lee is not... Lee in Korean either. It's E, you know, with no, mm -hmm. there's no, there's actually no L. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, you're probably in the right country uh, for that. But um, what does your name mean, by the way? Inside um, from my from my understanding, um, it means someone who completes, like almost like a a peacemaker or someone who completes the missing puzzle because I am the last born of eight grandchildren from uh -huh. uh, my paternal grandparents. My uh -huh. father is the eldest of 
seven or eight children, but he okay. was the last to get married. And he has only two children, my brother and I, and I was the last of those eight. So my grandfather named me after his younger sister, uh-huh. who whom he believed completed. He, he, for him, Nsadi meant oh, someone to complete my family, someone uh-huh. who stays behind at home to make a home exactly that, a home to make the house a home uh-huh so it's something along those lines a oh, computer okay. a a maker spin put whatever spin you want on it but something along those lines ah okay yeah how are you doing living up to your namesake <laughs> well i don't live at home i'm a rather nomadic person i think i've lived my life quite in juxtaposition to what the name says, because I don't live at home. I've lived a rather nomadic life for the bulk of my adult's life has Uh been rather uh, nomadic. So I don't know, I guess I complete in terms of in my encounters and the the people that I come across, I, I complete their world. They complete mine because I consider each and every encounter that I have meaningful and I don't waste it. I don't waste mm-hmm. my encounters with everyone. Yeah. So in that sense, I live up to it. But in another, I'm just all over the place here and there. I'm like a cell. I'm, I'm no. I'm not rooted in one particular place. So mm-hmm. I guess yeah, I live up to it to some degree. Yeah. All right, Insadi, let's let's get into this. So where are you from? Well, um, I am from a whole host of places. I was born in Lesotho, which is a small country surrounded by South Africa. Mm-hmm. But I have lived in South Africa my whole life. So I consider South Africa home. Um, I was born in Maseru, April 27th, 91. Oh, then a couple of months Uh-oh. thereafter, moved to Bloemfontein. <laughs> and she's single, okay. gentlemen. She's single I feel too. a lot older. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> she's still available. Okay. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, born in Bloemfontein. Uh, lived by my formative years all the way right through to high school in Bloemfontein. Attended uh, St. Michael's School for Girls and an all-girls Anglican school, mm-hmm. uh, English-speaking Anglican school. And yeah, then moved to Grahamstown, which is in the Eastern Cape. I studied theater and performance at Rhodes University, as well as psychology. Those were my two majors. How I thought I'd combine the two, I'm still not sure, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm from Bloom, a predominantly Afrikaans-speaking province. Moved, but attended an English school, speaking. Um, moved to, to Grahamstown in the Eastern Cape, where the school in its entirety is, is English-speaking and the medium of instruction is English-speaking. But the province in which Grahamstown is located in, which is the Eastern Cape, is mm-hmm. predominantly Kosa-speaking people. So... 
that's quite it's quite uh, tricky to to answer that question and in terms of where am i from i'm yeah. from a whole host of places great well you definitely belong on this podcast i'll tell you that much tell me about i think you went to an all-girls school anglican school in bluefontaine is that correct so that was that was quite interesting uh, i think of it as a blessing and a curse okay. um a blessing in the sense that that's that school um the foundations of my walk with god i come from a christian background uh -huh. my parents are both christians both anglicans uh -huh. um they supplemented the, the school foundation it was almost as if the school and my parents were co-parenting uh, they supplemented what I know to be true from home. So that foundation is so key to my my understanding of who God is and my walk with God and my relationship with religion and um, mm. spirituality, all of that amalgamation together. So okay. that that foundation is so fundamental to my identity and I have a lot to be grateful for. So that would be the blessings part, yes? Yes, very much so. It's a, a great blessing I came to know God in, in the sense that it was my identity. It, nothing else made sense back then. And still now, nothing else makes sense now mm. beyond that experience. I mean, this is, I'm talking almost 15 years ago. But a disservice in many spheres, a disservice socially, because, mm. you know, having to engage with the opposite sex was, was quite, I mean, I guess I could say it, I'm socially immature. I because of that experience so i was slow to develop in my engagement with the opposite sex being in an all-girls school mm -hmm. um a disservice as well in terms of it wasn't until i was maybe 17 or 18 thereabouts that i was conscious and really deliberate um with in terms of my walk with god prior to that i kind of just believed because that's what i've been told you have to mm -hmm. believe in god nothing else makes sense it was more of a religious foundation than it was mm -hmm. a spiritual so sure. I hadn't matured into what it, what an intimate relationship with God, with Christ means until I was maybe 17 or 18. And I had to, I, I started learning about what surrendering means, surrendering to this all-knowing power that mm -hmm. for a long time prior to that, I'd kind of, my head was just, I, I kind of felt like the experience led to being beat over the head with the bible just scripture right. scripture scripture but there was no application there was no application there was no connection it was just here memorize this no one at the school nor at home to mediate that balance of this is religion this is the book but this is your connection to said book and said rules that yeah makes and I, sense? oh absolutely much of our TCK experiences and much of my network, larger network that will be tuning in to the podcast are missionary kids. I was on a group site on Facebook and I had talked about my anger towards God, about the earthquake. And I had an atheist come in and say, well, it's kind of weird to be angry at something that doesn't exist. And so on this group page, we have missionary kids who sincerely do not <laughs> espouse to the you know foundations mm. of of the religion that their parents were a part of and the work that their parents were a part of so mm -hmm. i know a larger audience is listening to that and and that and can resonate with that i certainly can 
those of us mm-hmm. growing up in Christian circles, we're part of a religion and we have this reality of a religion on us. When does this real relationship with God actually take place and, and, and how does it, it manifest sure. and, and become something that's a real part of our life? And that's, that's an important turn that we have to make. And, and not everybody makes that. A lot, a lot of people mm-hmm. walk away, you know, having had terrible experiences or just simply just decide that it's not for them. I don't know. I don't think I'm brave enough to just turn a blind eye to it. I, you know, that that foundation scared me enough to stick around and see it through. I'm glad I did. That's why I'm yeah. saying it's a blessing and a curse. That yeah. that foundation, it scared me enough to just see this thing through and try to make sense of it, even though it was a gray you say, area. You say you're not brave enough, but I would... I would say that people who continue in religion for whatever reason, but are just patronizing it, those are probably the people that are not brave enough. So uh, some of the curses you mentioned, basically socially going in a a girl's school, were there any other (laughs) social issues that you had to deal with? Yes, very much so. And I could delve into this. I'll just touch here and there on that. I attended a school, I've been in that school for 14 years, so that's a very long time, uh, from primary kindergarten in American English, right to Mm -hmm. my matriculation. So that's almost 14 years of the same school. Um, And when I was enrolled, it was fresh after the 1994 elections in South Africa, very sensitive time of country was Mm -hmm. going through a very tumultuous, the end of apartheid, beginning of democracy, so nobody quite knows what to do with the political climate as things were. We're pretty mm-hmm. much a ticking time bomb. So it made that tricky because now everybody's faced with having to have races mix where for a long time prior to, everything, everything has been separated according to racial lines, according to the apartheid law, black people are here, Kosa speaking people are here, Afrikaans people, speaking people are here they use these services so segregation is still rife Mm. and um so i guess i was part of the first community of we were like a trial group of sorts Mm -hmm. i was maybe one of five um black people in my all white english-speaking school a private school so to speak so it made things a little bit tricky at the time i didn't realize it i just thought hey you know i view this with a eyes of innocence but knowing what I know now looking back I thought wow my folks took one heck of a risk in enrolling me in that environment because they wanted Mm -hmm. better for me they certainly wanted a better life for me and I'm so grateful for that experience so it was tricky in the sense that here I lived this township existence so it's a private school but I'm attending with children who are much 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 more wealthier than I could ever be. So uh-huh. even my transportation to school, I have to travel from the township early using a public transport taxi. I live in a predominantly black township. So my experience is, is black in the true mm-hmm. sense of poverty. But for eight hours a day during school, I get to live this white experience, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made it tr- difficult both at home and at school, because I can't have everything else, everything that all the other kids in my class have. 
But at, mm-hmm. at home, I also can't share in my excitement about all the new things that I'm exposed to at school because I can, my neighborhood is filled with other black children who go to township schools whose classmates are, they live the opposite experience of what I live. Mm-hmm. So that made it quite tricky in terms of how do I share my excitement of this new world that I've been exposed to, but the reality of we're still black. We still have right. You're still black, you know? Yeah. Saying that in answering the way I've just answered, I have to make it known to you and anybody else listening. I don't say that, uh, pref- I don't set that response up for from a place of victimhood that's the last thing I want um I never want to use that backstory as a hey I'm I'm still a victim because I'm just laying it out for the for guess contextual purposes so that people understand where I come from but know that I don't I'm not a victim I don't I I don't identify with with such Mm. so I lay it out just for contextual purposes but it does not inform my responses going forward, nor has it ever, you know, nor has yeah. it in any conversation, podcast or not podcast, my stance remains as such. I speak okay. as Nzhadi first before I speak as any other identity that anyone could ever put onto me, black woman, African, before any of those insignificant identities, I speak for as Nzhadi, for Nzhadi. Yes. First and foremost. So I just had to put that out there. And Sadi's point, I think, there at the end is a great one to end on and talk about a little bit. It's often awkward as a white person to be talking about race being a social construct. Um, obviously, for all the reasons that history has given us, a sociological invention that it is, but a very powerful when we hear a black voice talking about race largely being a social construct that impacted their life, but didn't take over or completely inform their existence. One of my favorite people, another young black woman from the U.S., has been the one to transform my understanding of this whole phenomena and more. I talk about it in my book. (laughs) She wishes to remain anonymous, but I I met her also in Korea teaching English there. And 90% of our talks centered around other things, our daily lives, her young marriage, spirituality. As we sat in the back row at church, she has helped me in the largest way arm me with an informed opinion of black slavery in America and the reasons why there is a culture gap between African black folks and African Americans. But I am exponentially more thankful, deeply thankful for the relationship I have with her as a friend, as somebody who deeply cares about me and my family. And um, I'm, I'm so thankful for individuals from each of these black communities The richness I share with them in relationship is immeasurable, whether they come from Detroit, Michigan, or Lesotho within South Africa. I want so badly for the world to know how amazing 
and rich life can be when we cross these barriers. We shouldn't be allowing political movements or culture wars and the fear-mongering to miss what could be. I suspect that when we do that, it has a broader impact on society, and these ladies are a precious, precious reminder of that in this case. And as I seek to tell or share their stories and their impact on my life, I hope it moves others to do the same. Next week, we will be hearing from three children of immigrants to the United States, all coming from three different continents. We're having a reunion party of sorts, celebrating one year after a very significant event at Daechon Beach in Korea. There's a lot to listen in on there. Uh, We'll probably be having them on later to have a bit more of a serious discussion on the impact that being first-generation immigrants has on their lives, but you do get to hear some of it and a lot of candor. That's for sure. Fun times. Of course, if you are interested in getting in on my book launch early and get exclusive offers in and around that, or you just want to be informed of its launch and read the first chapter, any of those, you can sign up on my website in the show notes. If you're going to be signing up this week, you can help pick the cover. You can give me some input and feedback on that. Don't miss that if that is something you want to do. Thank you all for listening. This community is ever-growing. Until next time, 